Well, good morning, everyone. So good to see you this morning. You know, Pastor Tim gave a shout out to Tony and Marilyn from St. Pete. Tony and Marilyn from St. Pete, they're in the service now. We're so glad that you made it from the online shout out and you're inside now. That's pretty cool. Those that are watching online, we're so glad that you're watching. You're part of our family. It's so important in this season. You turn on the news, it's always bad news. You look at the studies of what's happening with uh, children, teenagers, our senior citizens, people are struggling with depression, you know, just struggling getting out of bed, some people. I love that song at the end of worship today. Never forget that. The goodness of God is always running after you. It's so easy to forget. You turn on TV, you don't hear any of the goodness of God running after me. You just hear bad news. But how we're gonna understand the goodness of God that's constantly chasing us is if we get out of bed, we get into the word of God, we put on some worship music, and we begin to immerse ourselves in the presence of God. I want you to know, God's presence will always penetrate the darkness that this world has, always. As my wife said earlier, this is not the only generation that is seeing things of times of trouble, times of doubt, times of discouragement, times of division. But as believers, we have to unite our hearts together and determine in our hearts, we're not gonna be like the world is. We're gonna walk up and we're gonna wake up and we're gonna encourage ourselves in the Lord. If you begin to encourage yourself in the Lord, let me tell you what, what the enemy meant for harm for you, God will turn it around for his good and for his glory. This is week three of a series called Live Again. Today's message is called The Voice of Restoration. Understand that God's voice will always bring restoration to you. Maybe you're grieving, maybe going through a time that's dark. Listen to the voice of the Lord. The voice of the Lord will always bring restoration for where the enemy tries to rob and steal from you. He'll always encourage your heart. The joy of the Lord is our strength. But we've got to listen to the voice of the Lord. How are you going to listen to God's voice? He's speaking to us every day right in his word. I, I don't hear him. Pastor Glenn, I don't, maybe you hear I don't hear him. Well, I want to ask you this. Are you reading his word? Are you spending time in worship? Are you spending time away from the noise? It's noisier now than ever. The world is a bunch of noise that's just screaming at you. Some people are saying, man, I'm just hearing such darkness and it's screaming in my ear. I want to remind you where that screaming is coming from. The enemy always is going to scream lies into your ears. I want you to know that. So when you're hearing bad news that's screaming at you, when you hear that you're never going to make it, you're never going to get that job again, you're never going to be blessed financially. You're never going to be where you once were. Realize that that is the voice of the enemy. The voice of God, he's always going to speak to us in the whispers. How are we going to hear God's voice? Is to get away from the noise, to get away from the voice of the enemy, and to get along with God and listen to the voice of God that is saying, I am always if I'm for you, who can be against you? I'll always lead you. I'll always guide you. 
I'm always right there with you. I'm a friend that's going to stick closer than a brother. I've had some close brothers in my life, let me tell you. To stick closer than my brother, he's a God that's always got your back. He's a God that's going to lift you up out of hurt, discouragement, despair. But it's up to us to listen to the voice of the Lord. In his voice, there will always be restoration. Aren't you glad for that? That was not in my notes today, but good morning. Welcome to Countryside. We're glad that you're here today. As we move into week three, I want to take you to where we're starting in week three of the voice of restoration and live again. Jesus and his disciples were spending the winter months by the Jordan River. Why was Jesus there? Why was he taking them by the Jordan River? This was a two-day journey out of Jerusalem. There was a specific reason why Jesus was taking his disciples to this place for this time of restoration. You see, Jesus never was liked by the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the religious people of his day never liked him. They were always against him. They're always speaking against him. Well, it came to a head in John 7, 37, when Jesus interrupted these great religious ones that were in the middle of their water-pouring ceremony, and Jesus said, if you're thirsty, come to me and drink. And if you drink from me, you'll never be thirsty again. You see, they were looking at Jesus taking their livelihood. So Jesus took the disciples out of the chaos that was beginning in Jerusalem, took them by the Jordan River, the river that John the Baptist baptized Jesus in. It was a place that was far enough from Jerusalem where they felt safe, where they could be encouraged, and they could be taught. Now, as they were in this place by the Jordan River, a messenger arrives. This messenger was so upset. He was out of breath. And he tells Jesus, he says, your friend Lazarus is very, very ill. And he's at the brink of death. Lazarus' sisters, Mary and Martha, they want you to come quickly. Jesus, you've got to stop everything right now and you've got to come. We need you now. So how would Jesus respond to the despair of Mary and Martha that was voiced to them by the messenger? You see, there's a problem here. You see, Lazarus was in a town by the name of Bethany. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem. So as Jesus is hearing this and the disciples are hearing this, they know that there is a lot of turmoil and there's a chance that they're going to be stoned possibly, beaten, taken captive, and they were very, very concerned. But Jesus didn't respond the way the messenger thought that he should respond. It wasn't the way that Mary expected. It wasn't the way that the disciples expected. But Jesus Christ was just about to go on the offense that was going to shake the kingdom of hell to its very core. Are you ready to get into God's word today? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that your word is anointed. Your word brings change to our heart, brings life to our circumstances. Teach us, grow us. We want to be more like you through your word. In Jesus' name. Amen. Now, to review week one of this series called Live Again, we looked at the Valley of the Dry Bones. The Valley of the Dry Bones was in the book of Ezekiel as Ezekiel was having a vision given to him by Jesus himself as he looked at a valley that was filled with dry, 
dead bones. These bones represented Jerusalem, and it represented the Jews, and it represented what disobedience will always bring as they disobedient, were disobedient to God, to his ways, and they ended up in a valley of dry bones. But see, God always wants to restore. And so God spoke over them and let them know if they begin to become obedient to him, follow his word, yes, they're in captivity, but he will restore them to that place in Jerusalem where the temple will be rebuilt. Last week, Pastor Tim, didn't he do a great job as he ministered to us about the, the river of life? This goes beyond the building. You see, the temple was a reminder of Eden where heaven and earth interacted, but we lost Eden. The old temple was destroyed by Babylon, but Ezekiel was shown a new temple where the river of life was flowing from it. Jesus is the true temple where heaven and earth overlap. And his life is the river of life that is throwing, flowing through you and through me as we love God and we love people. We have the river of life flowing through us. Today we're going to look at how the Apostle Paul, I'm sorry, the Apostle John reminds us of these visions and how Jesus fulfilled them because we see how the valley of the dry bones becomes a very tangible reality through the dead body of Jesus's good friends. In your notes, let's see. Number one, Jesus responds to an urgent plea. Let's look at the story in John chapter 11, starting in verse one. It says, now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and his sister Martha. This Mary was Lazarus' brother, now lay sick was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent the word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two more days. And then he said to the disciples, let us go back to Judea. How did Jesus respond? It was urgent. It was desperate. What did Jesus do? He stayed where he was for two more days. Now imagine getting a call from hospice saying that one of your loved ones doesn't have much time and you need to get to hospice right away. You get to hospice right away. You would think the urgency of his best friend Lazarus that's very, very sick, Jesus is able to heal him, raise him up, get there. You see, he was two days away from Bethany, but Jesus took two more days to rest, to pray, and to seek God. And then he left and had a two-day journey back. Jesus was not in a hurry to get to Lazarus. Have you ever had a delay in the answer that you're looking for in your prayers. You see, that's where the rubber meets the road in our faith, in our Christian walk. You see, the way we are as Christians and the way we are as Americans is hurry up. Let's put it in the microwave, let's get it out in less than 30 seconds. When I was a kid, there was no microwave. We had to preheat the oven to 425 degrees and had to wait a half hour. But as Christians, so often we're like, God, if you're real, if you're really listening to me, you will answer this, this prayer request in my timing. I need it now. I need, a, I need a job now. God, I need you to bring healing to my marriage right now. God, I need you to 
take care of this circumstance. I want you to heal this relationship. I want you to do it in my timing. See, I can remember, oftentimes God's very best is a prayer that lingers and we continue to press in, we continue to believe God because we trust God with his timing. But that's not easy to do. In 1987, I went on a mission trip to the Dominican Republic. On that mission trip, I encountered God in a very tangible, real way. I felt called to the ministry. I came back and I said, God, I'm ready to go. He said, prepare yourself, son. And I went into the training center and began to train. Okay, God, I'm ready. When you're ready, I'm ready, God. I'd love to be on staff at Countryside, even if I start maybe in maintenance. It doesn't matter, God, whatever you want to do. I'm open, Lord, send me and get me out of the post office where I'm working nights and I'm exhausted 24-7. Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. 1989, I became the volunteer youth pastor here at the church. I took over a youth ministry where there was about 15 kids. Within six months to a year, we had 120, 130 kids every Wednesday night. At this point, I'm working three jobs. I'm working at the post office. I then became part-time at Countryside, which was an amazing thing. I was working 20 hours a week here, and I was getting paid $80 a week. Now, for a lot of you, I know you spend $80 when you go out to eat, which is amazing to me. Go on, retail me not, share meals. We got at least seven meals out of that $80, so thank you very much. We ate out. 1990, 1992, 1994. Okay, so this is what starts happening. So in 1990, somebody else gets hired to be a, on staff as a pastor. I'm thinking, well, that's not really fair, God. What's up with that? In fact, I would throw it into him. I'm like, God, I've been here since the church started. What's up with that? God, are you listening? God, you spoke to me on that mountain in the Dominican Republic. What's up with this? He says, it's not time. I keep praying. They hire somebody else, another pastor. I'm thinking, what is, then they hire a third pastor. And I thought, all right, now you're messing with me, Lord. Because ministry is still growing. I'm working so hard. Where are you? But you see, if God would have done it on my timing, he would have done it before I was ever ready to take that first step. There's a good chance that I would have stepped in, saw how difficult it was to be in ministry, and have stepped out and said, you know what, the post office doesn't look so bad after all. But he didn't. He did it over an eight-year period. And even after that, when I took the job, I was getting paid half of what the post office paid, so I still had to work two jobs for another five years. God, what's, what's going on? But what he was doing, he was molding me. He was shaping me. He was doing what only God does. See, it's so easy for us to look and say, God, do this now. When God's looking at your circumstances and saying, I got you. I know what's ahead. I see the ending before the beginning. Will you begin to trust me? Because what's ahead for you is incredible, but you need to persevere. You need to stay faithful, and you need to stop managing me. We're in a As Christians, oftentimes, we're in the try-to-manage-God business. God, I trust you. And we don't say it out loud. But then we're side. The way we live, we're saying, I trust you if you do it this way and in this timing, the way that I really want it, the way that I think it should be done. Let me tell you, some of the greatest answers that you'll ever get from God with your prayers is no. 
I, I don't think so. I love you too much. I look back before I met Elaine, there was a couple girls I thought, hey, God, all right, let's go. They're saved, they pray. Let me tell you, if I would have married any of those girls, my life would have been a wreck. I'm thankful that God didn't answer my prayers the way that I thought that they should be answered. We want God to answer us now. We want to have access constantly to his power, blessings, healing, forgiveness. We want to coordinate God and his blessings so they fit into our expectations. And when our expectations aren't met, then we get upset and we tend to walk away from God. God's saying to you today, countryside, trust me. I've got you right where I want you to be. Stay faithful. Continue to run into the arms of God and the goodness of God because God's faithful and he's always right on time. Can you say amen? amen. You see, faith, it does move God's hand. But real faith is trusting him enough to align your desires with his desires. Seeing things from God's perspective rather than our perspective. In, the, in your notes, it says, God is moved by our faith. He is not managed by our expectations. It's good that God is in charge because of the billion people that are praying to God right now on this earth, if they all got things the way they wanted, we would have a messed up world, which in many ways we do. We have that. And more than ever, we need to pray for our nation. I, I want to say it almost every week. Pray for the United States of America. Pray that God's going to bring healing. Pray that God's going to begin to bring us together. And we're going to get to the roots of who we are as a nation. The foundation of this nation was raised on Christian beliefs in the Christian belief system. Pray for this nation. So think about this with... Mary and Martha, they're frustrated. Here we are six days later. Their brother died on day two. What could have been going on in their minds? Think of a family member. Jesus is your best friend coming. You know he's coming, but now he's been dead for four days. They know in their heart that Jesus has already raised two people from the dead. But he raised those two people on day one. You see, there were many Jews that believed, this was not something they learned in the Bible, but it's something that they believed, and it was a tradition of their faith, that the soul of someone that dies will linger over them for three days. And so they're thinking, okay, as long as Jesus gets here before three days, we're still going to be all right. But here we are, we're at day four, and we're wondering, Jesus, where are you? Now his soul is gone. Now his body is decomposing. Now you're late. How often do we look at God and we say, now you're late? God's looking at you and say, oh, no, I'm not. Child, I am right on time. So Lazarus is dead. Lazarus is buried. Mary and Martha are weeping. Their friends and their neighbors are weeping. Where do you think the heart of Jesus is in all of this? Number two in your notes, Jesus weeps. Jesus weeps. This is such an important part of this story and such an important part of Scripture that a lot of times people miss and they just look at what Jesus did afterwards. But he took a moment and he wept. Let's look at John chapter 32, starting in verse, I'm sorry, chapter 11, starting in verse 32. It says, when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, 
she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. So Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews had also come along with her, also weeping. He was deeply moved in his spirit and troubled. And he asked, where have you laid him? Come on and see, Lord, they replied. Verse 35, Jesus wept. Verse 36, it says, then the Jews said, see how he loved him? So why did Jesus weep? Was it because his friend had died and he didn't, he wanted to just join in and be respectful and be polite like everyone else that was weeping? Was it even though he knew that he could have healed them, even though he knew what was ahead, why is he weeping? You see, it was tradition at this time when someone would die, they would make a huge fuss in the grieving process. They would literally wail and scream. It was such a big deal, they would even hire professional weepers that would come to the funeral that would make everybody feel good. It was part of the tradition. If I die coming up, I want to hire some of you guys to come and be a part of that. So was Jesus being polite because it was a tradition to wail and to weep and to cry? With Mary weeping and the neighbors weeping? Let's look at the word weeping in verse 33. The word in Greek here, John uses the word klio. It means to wail. It was the kind of weeping that could be sincere, but it also is referring to an expected show of grief. Mary is probably wailing and weeping, and it's from the depths of her heart. But the friends and the neighbors that were wailing and screaming, that possibly could have been a little enhanced because of the culture. At the time, it was a socially acceptable way to grieve by wailing. But as we look at the word wept in verse 35, where we see that Jesus wept, John's using a different word for weeping there. It's dakruo. It's to shed tears. It's water that may be pouring out of one's face. It's used only once in the New Testament, dakryo. It's the word that means tears that are streaming. It's not a polite weeping or a cultural wailing. It's tears of compassion. This weeping comes from the very depth and core of real love, true and lasting compassion. In your notes, God's heart is deep. It is full of deep and abiding compassion for his friends. You know, this past week, we lost a dear friend here in the ministry at Countryside. One of our deacons, Pat Cadell, passed away. He's been battling COVID-19 in intensive care for the last five weeks. Pat was one of the kindest men I ever met or knew. He was always positive. He had struggled with PTSD from, um, from the war in Vietnam. He had Agent Orange, so his lungs were severely damaged when he got this, this terrible disease. But we're praying in faith, but yet God didn't answer the way we wanted him to answer. But yet the family and the friends, we trust God in it. But it doesn't mean we're not hurting. It doesn't mean that we're not grieving. You know, I can look back at a time at my very deepest moment of grief and the loss of my brother. And I could see little signs that God would give me just to show me that he loved me, that he was there for me, and to keep my head up. I can remember one specific time. I was at work. I got a call in my office, and it was a friend. 
This lady, she said, God put something on my heart. I need to deliver a message to you. I said, okay, give it to me. And she goes, no, I need to give you something. And I said, okay, well, come in an hour. I'll meet you, and you can give me whatever message, whatever you want to give me. And so when I came out of my office and met her at the front desk, she had an ice cream cone. The ice cream cone was melted, half melted, going down her arm, dripping. And she looked at me and she said, Pastor Glenn, God wants me to give you your favorite ice cream, which it was, chocolate, chocolate chip, Haagen-Dazs. It was my favorite. And she goes, he wants you to know he has a heart of compassion for your grief. And he wants you to know it's going to be okay. He wants you to know that maybe that little boy inside of you is hurting and needs an ice cream today. But that little boy that's hurting is going to be resurrected and going to be a powerful man of God like he's never been before. And you know what? Most people would have taken that melted ice cream, may have just taken it because it was a mess, and may have thrown it away. You know what I did with that ice cream? I ate it. In 10 seconds, I ate that ice cream. And it was good. And you know what I felt? I felt the love and compassion of God in the midst of my pain, in the midst of my hurt, in the midst of my disappointment. God's there. So no matter where you are today, understand that God has compassion on your pain. He has compassion for your disappointment and your hurt. But he loves you enough that he's not going to leave you there. He's going to lift you up. He's going to put you back together. He's going to make you stronger than you've ever been, but it's up to you to allow God to do this in you. See, God has compassion for the grieving. God tells us in Romans chapter 12, verse 15, to mourn with those who mourn, because he mourns with those who mourn. It's easy to think if, if God would allow this tragedy, he's got no business worrying about the mourning, but God sees the big picture. And he doesn't look at the tragedy. He looks at what is going to come out for all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Jesus wept. You know, I can remember growing up with my kids and raising them. We'd always try to get the word of God inside of their heart and, and have them memorize. I can remember asking them, hey, give us what God's speaking to you today. What verse you got? And my son, without fail, Jesus wept. I'm like, you know what? You know, you need to get a little deeper into the word of God than Jesus wept. But when you begin to look at this scripture and begin to dissect what it means for Jesus to weep, he weeps out of love and compassion for us, for you, for me. And he's there. And he's there for you and for me with a heart of love and restoration and healing and hope. You see, Jesus is our hope. Our hope is never going to be satisfied in the things that the world has to offer. Jesus Christ is our hope. You see, here we are. Jesus wept, but he also spoke. Jesus Christ, described in the book of John, the word made flesh. God, the spoken word, the living word. Everything that the Father had ever spoken was embodied by his Son. And the voice of Jesus changes everything. Number three, Jesus speaks Lazarus to life. Let's look at chapter 11, starting in verse 38, as we complete this wonderful, wonderful word. Verse 38, it says, Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and the stone laid across the entrance. 
Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, and he's been there for four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of the Lord? So they took away the stone. And then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out. His hands and his feet were wrapped with straps of linen and cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Jesus said, open up the tomb. But Martha's freaking out. He smells, he's decomposing. Jesus, what are you doing? It's too late. But Jesus, in the boldness that only Jesus could do, asked them to open up the grave and he began to speak, come out, Lazarus, come out. Now imagine this. This was a grave that was carved into the side of a mountain. It was a small area. He's laid on a table and he's wrapped tightly in these grave strips and linens that are wrapped all the way around his face. It was so tight probably in this tomb that he couldn't even just slide over. He had to slide out, if you can imagine this. He's been dead for four days. Can you imagine the weepers? Oh! oh. <laughs> and Jesus slid out. And I know some of you probably watched that movie, The Mummy. Here the guy comes out. Blah! People are freaking out. Because what was dead is now alive because the voice of Jesus changes everything. You see, later on, Lazarus, he lived a life, helped Paul and Barnabas, historians have said, to plant their church nearby where he was. But then he ended up dying a natural death. It was a natural thing. But he lived longer because we don't serve a natural God. Jesus Christ is a supernatural God. He's a God that will never run out of miracles anytime soon. You see, when he speaks, demons flee. When he speaks, pride jumps out and runs out the door. When he speaks, anger and hatred run and are scared to death. When Jesus speaks, envy and jealousy picks up its tails and runs out the door. See, death, death typically lingers. And it's a horrible, sad, overwhelming, thick spirit. But guess what? Death flees the voice of our Lord. Imagine this. When the voice of God speaks, think about how fright and fear enters into these demons where they're gonna run to literally flee, to book it. How many are afraid of snakes in here? I, I see some of the guys are like, I'm all right, I'm all right. Well, I'm gonna tell you, I hate snakes. I think I hate snakes more than Indiana Jones hates snakes. So I can remember mowing my yard and I'd have a self-propelled lawnmower going and there'd be a garter snake. I literally would run in the house and allow my lawnmower to run into the neighbor's fence. I can remember when I was 19 years old, I used to live off of 580 and um, whatever the road that comes in between that, 590. 
And we had like six acres that we lived in, and me and my friend would take our BB guns, and we'd shoot cans, and we'd just shoot things, shoot the trees, whatever. And we're in the middle of this with our BB guns, thinking we're so tough with our semi-automatic BB gun. And my friend said, Glenn, stop right there. I'm like, what's going on? There's a rattlesnake three feet from you. And I looked at this rattlesnake that was coiled up. This is a seven-foot rattler that was this big around. And I started thinking. I was always warned. They always travel in twos. <laughs> Where's the other one? And literally, when I, I saw him look at the, the rattlesnake, looked at my friend, Dave Trosha, and looked at him, and I booked it. And literally, I was running around. I didn't know where I was even going. I'm just running. I'm, I'm freaking out. I literally go over. He's like, Five feet getting closer, I grab him, grab him by the nap of the neck, and I literally say, Dave, it's not worth your life. He said, chill out. He ends up killing the rattlesnake. He skinned it, probably made some boots out of it. But as scared as I was of that snake, demons are afraid of the voice of the Lord, and they flee at the voice of Jesus. See, Lazarus died. He's waiting. He's going to be probably one of the first ones that when Jesus comes back and the dead in Christ rise first, let me tell you, the bones of, a, of Lazarus are going to start rattling. Next week, get ready, because rattle is becoming part of our worship service. Next week, we're going to see some dead bones rattle. And I believe as I'm speaking these words of restoration and healing into your life, I'm hearing it. I'm hearing bones rattle in this place spiritually because what the enemy meant for harm, God's turning around to bring good. Because today, right now, our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ, is in the restoration business. He wants to restore your broken heart. He wants to restore where you thought you made too many mistakes. How can God use me? Oh, God will use you best. That's how he'll use you. Past mistakes, oh, I failed too many times, Pastor Glenn, you don't know. I don't know, I don't need to know, but God's gonna turn it around if you allow him to speak into your life and he'll use those mistakes to bring glory to his name. Maybe you walked wrong paths. Let me tell you, God's gonna use those wrong paths, get you on the right path, and it's gonna turn others' lives around you for his good and for his glory. Jesus says, I've died so you can be forgiven. Come out of that grave and be free. He died so that we might know life, so that we might know eternal life. He died and gave his life so that our lives can be restored. He died for our brokenness, our broken hearts. There's people all over this room right now, people watching that are online. Your heart's been broken and devastated and so much disappointment. Listen to the voice of the Lord that will speak healing into your broken heart. He'll put the brokenness of your heart back together and make you so much stronger if you receive. That's the key. You've got to begin to receive and allow your heart to hear the voice of God. That when the enemy comes in, he's gonna continue to speak. He's gonna continue to scream. Get alone with God and listen to what God is saying to you. For you. Not against you. The joy of the Lord is your strength. What the enemy meant for harm in your life, 
I will use it and turn it into my glory. The brokenness of your past, I will use to allow other people to see so that your life will make a difference. You've got a plan and a purpose. There's a destiny that God has called you to that is yours, but God's looking for obedience. But he's not looking for obedience based on manipulating the answer. It's waking up every day and say, God, I'm yours. Let's go. Wherever you lead, I will follow. Wherever you take me, I will go. Wherever you desire me to be, as long as you're with me, I know I'm going to be okay. And what used to hurt so much, God's going to wrap you in his arms. He's going to fill you with the spirit, and you'll never be the same again. Allow the voice of the Lord. Allow his word to penetrate your hearts. And guess what? Restoration will fill every area and circumstance in your life. Can you say amen? Amen. Amen. Let's close in a word of prayer today. Father, thank you so much. Your word's alive. I pray for each and every person in this room that this word may have spoken to today. Father, that you would restore. You would restore hurt. You would restore calling. You restore jobs, you restore relationships, that you would bring healing where there's such brokenness that only you can do. Lord, we look to you and we trust you. We trust your timing and we trust you that you truly are a friend that will always stick closer than a brother. We look to you. With every head bowed and every eye closed, maybe you're here today. Maybe you feel like you're a million miles away from God right now. Maybe you are in the darkest place you've ever been. God's calling out to you and saying, I love you. I'm here for you. Maybe you've never given your life to Jesus Christ to be your Lord and your Savior. Maybe you put all your trust in maybe friends or people or relationships or money or stuff. None of those things are gonna bring true contentment and true joy. But to know that Jesus Christ is your Lord and your Savior, to know that eternity is yours in heaven because of what he did on the cross, to Put your trust fully in Almighty God through His Son, Jesus Christ. The Bible says today is that day for you. And if you want to be included in this prayer, I'm just about to pray. If you're online, you want to hit that button that's in there to let us know today is your day. And when I count to three, will you just raise your hand? I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you out. But I believe that today will change your life because of what's going to happen in your heart right now. One, two, Three. Will you raise your hand? God bless you. I see your hand and yours and yours and yours and yours. I see your hand over here. Whoa. Glad you were looking down. I just fell off the stair. <laughs> All right. Is anybody else going into the middle? Thank you so much. God bless you. I see your hand and yours. Will you look at me when you raise your hand so I can pray? Let's pray together for the sake of all those that raise their hand. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you for what you did for me on the cross. You gave your life so that I might have life. Today, I accept you as my Lord, my Savior, and my God. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we give the Lord a great praise offering today? Remember, church, if God's for you, who can be against you? I love you so much. We'll see you next week. Amen. What a great word from Pastor Glenn. Would you stand with me now? to receive your blessing. And if you're watching online, I suggest you just lift your palms up in an 
attitude of receiving. May the Lord bless you with his voice of hope, of love, of restoration. And may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Love you, church. See you next week. What an incredible time of worship this morning and what an incredible message by Pastor Glenn. If you need anything at all, if you need prayer, or you're going through anything, please drop in the chat below. We have someone who wants to pray with you and we have people who are gonna pray for you throughout the week. But we love you, Countryside family. Thank you for tuning in. We'll see you here same time next week.